This is Special Chronicles, giving respect and a voice to people with special needs. Podcasting since 2008, this is the show where we're broadcasting disability stories from an insider's perspective, and we are giving a voice to people with special needs. This is your weekly guide to find and joy, acceptance, and inclusion. I shudder thinking how the world can be so Coming up on the Special Chronicles show, episode 397, we feature a conversation with Special Olympics Chief Inspiration Officer Loretta Claiborne is coming up right now on SpecialChronicles.com. Welcome back to the Special Chronicles show. My name is Daniel. I am your host and founder of Special Chronicles and a Southern Survival International Global Messenger with Special Olympics. Welcome to the Special Chronicles show, Loretta. Thank you. And let's... Uh, a brief programming note for our listeners. The Special Chronicles show is produced by the Special Chronicles Network. For 12-plus years, we have been producing groundbreaking and award-winning podcasts to give respect and voice to people with special needs. Listen to hundreds of podcasts held globally by thousands of listeners for free and on demand at specialchronicles.com and on podcast apps everywhere. Just search for Special Chronicles. Support for Special Chronicles comes from listeners like you... We join our supporters as we are currently raising $12,000 in celebration of a 12-year celebration at Special Chronicles. Please support this podcast and more podcasts like it at specialchronicles.com slash give. That's specialchronicles.com slash give. And wow, why don't we um, begin, Loretta, and uh, have you um, begin by introducing yourself to our um, uh, listeners, and tell us about your uh, your brief backstory, your family, your early years in Special Olympics, and your connection to our Special Olympics movement, and, and including your role uh, on the board of directors and as an athlete leader. Sure, I been born, uh, I guess, in the in the fifties. My mother had set really nine children, but seven living children. She raised us all single handedly. And when it came time to go to school, she wanted to make sure that one thing we had was good morals. And she was really strict. She didn't take nothing from none of her seven children. And that included me. She was tough on me. Uh, I couldn't get away with nothing. I got the bit strapped just as much as everybody else did. One time came time to come to go to school. I knew I was different because my sisters were progressing. They were reading and everything. And I was just having a tough time at it. Uh, for instance, like this saying, the alphabet, it was hard for me. By the time I hit kindergarten or second grade, I was just remembering the whole thing. And I sang it. I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. It was just really tough, but I wanted to be on par just like every other kid. And I was held back those first three years. But my mom, being a stern person, she was. She fought for me to stay in that regular school. They had special education classes, and she just said to the school board, hey, you have a special education class? We're going to teach my daughter. Made sure that that happened. And then when I got out of school, my first year out of school, 
I went to a shelter workshop. They were preparing me for the next part of my life, for my future, and probably the end of my... That was all you wanted to do was work in a shelter workshop. I graduated from high school like every other kid who graduated in a special education class. Most of those kids got what they call a certificate. Yeah. For me to get a diploma that says Loretta Claiborne has completed her studies at William Penn Senior High School. And that was my mom's big hurrah for her daughter to graduate like her other six living children. And as time went by, I went to the workshop and a counselor met me there at a workshop. He was my, he was like the psychologist and he would notice I ran back and forth to work instead of taking the bus. Well, I didn't want to take the bus because I always had problems with people and the snickering and I just decided, well, I run every day anyway with my brother Hank. I'm going to run, run to work and I don't have no problems. And that's what I did. And he introduced me to Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. I first was introduced. You had to practice up at the field from the workshop, run around a couple of times and did exercises. And then I came home and who would ever think that Special Olympics only had one event in our area I was swimming. And I wasn't good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blacks didn't go to swimming pools, so we didn't learn how to swim. But there were some kids who could swim like fish. There was actually a kid I knew. They called him Dolphin. That was his name. <laughs> swim like a fish. But my thing was running. And that's when I got involved in Special Olympics. And when I look back at what the power of Special Olympics today, how it's not only impacting people with intellectual disability, but all people Going back to our young people, our students in the schools, uh, Unified Champion Schools, Mm -hmm. it just opened my voice up. And it was a coach to me. It said one day, Loretta, I'm not going to answer your questions for you. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to tell me you have a voice and use it. And that's basically from that point, I started to use my voice. And today I serve as the Chief Inspirational Officer for Special Olympics. It's a tough title. (laughs) (laughs) At first I said, well, I can remember back when what I said, I don't talk. I just do this. Use my fist. Awesome. And today I don't have to use my fist. I speak on behalf of all people with intellectual disability and even those without intellectual disability, school teachers, professors, of people of law, all the way up to the United Nations and being the chief inspirational officer. It's a tough job. It's not just a title. It, you work for it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you you touched on a, a couple of um, things that I want to, um, as we continue to talk about your story. Um, and one is you talk about workshops, and I think that was a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm a little... Uh, a little bit younger than you, um, but um, I, I think for um, both of us, and particularly for you, along uh, if if we look back, uh, like um, you know, fifty years ago, there there not was even a, that. yeah, not even that, yeah, that 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 it was like there were, uh, for a lot of us, like you and myself, and. The over six million um, 
athletes across the globe and um, for a lot of us with intellectual disabilities, that was all people thought that we were able to do. And now we're able to the work that you're doing, the, the work that I'm doing as a Southern Tribal International Global Messenger, uh, and that the work that we're doing, we're able to show them that there's a lot more that we're able to do, not just on the field, but also off the field through our leadership. And so what, I guess, where do you think that change is? Like, like, well, like, like how, how do you think we were able to kind of go from what, what it was not, not that many years ago to today? Well, it was the persistence of hard work. And two, that was better than going to where a lot of my friends, they were like disappearing and mm-hmm. I didn't understand where they were going. You got to remember that most people in the time I grew up, were warehoused in institutions. You might as well say like modern day jails now. Yeah, They were in jail for prison for a crime they didn't commit. So to get those people out of institutions, it took a lot of hard work of parents. It took a lot of hard work of people, but for a lot of people that didn't show because that was the, almost like the law. You either go to a workshop or you go to be warehoused in an institution. My mom fought that. But then there was a lady named... Eunice Kennedy Shriver. Mm-hmm. And I think looking back at her, her, her brother was the president of the United States. Yeah. And she had a sister who had intellectual disability. And she thought about her sister and she thought, how would society look at people? Look at them now. They're looking at these people like as if they're worthless. And two, at a time when she'd done it, our country was broken in riots and a lot of despair against people accepting each other just because of the color of the skin. And here they really denounce people who learn differently. And I don't know if you know the names, imbecile, oh, you're yeah. an imbecile, you're an idiot, um, you're a moron. And it was a lady who had faith, who had belief that people had value. And when she came out with Special Olympics, who would have thought it would have been 50 years? I thought, here today, going tomorrow. But this woman, she went to her brother, and I guess her brother was president. And I can still see the little boy accepting the certificate about opening the world for people who are differently able. And today, great team of people. It's known in society that these people can do something. And she did it with one simple thing called sport. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to run. Everybody likes to throw a ball. So she was on a mission. She knew mm-hmm. that people love sports. Awesome. People love yeah. music. People love to eat. But everybody, you can get out and kick a ball, whether you do it yeah. by yourself. I think that was one of the keys to opening the doors to success for our people today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, years later. Absolutely, yeah. And we're, we're going to get into the other note that I made about you. You said that it was a tough, that it's a tough job. It, it's a tough title as chief inspiration officer for our movement for Special Olympics. So I, I should say at Special Olympics. We'll get to that maybe a little bit later because you mentioned our founder, 
um, of Special Olympics Union's Committee Tribal. Um, and it's a good transition. And a lot of times when you listen to podcasts, we go from like from one segment to another one. You We, we tra- transition, or like if we're talking the story, we tra- transition from one part to another part. So that's a good transition and take us back to when you first got involved as an athlete and meeting our special Olympics founder, Eunice Kennedy Shrivo and her son, uh, Tim, that, that we're both, that we're both friends with. Well, I was at the workshop in 1970 and the counselor there, Mr. Gilreef noticed me running back and forth to the workshop. And he says, I think I have something for you. Cause he knew I had some anger issues as they would call it today. And um, he called me into his office and he sat me down after a rough day. And he says, I think I have something for you. I notice you like to run. I see you running every morning, coming to the workshop and you can get the bus free. And I said, I always run. Me and my brother run. We've been running since 1966. So at the end of the day, after a rough day, he called me in the office and he gave me a paper. And I couldn't read it that well. And I knew the word Olympics, and I can associate with the Olympics because back when we watched the TV, and for almost three weeks, the only thing that came on TV was the Olympics on NBC. I remember watching it and sitting there dreaming that I'm going to be like Wilma Rudolph. (laughs) I was a kid. I had dreams just like everyone else, you know, whether they could become a reality or not. And then years later, I had the opportunity, that was in 70 and 72, I had the opportunity to go to Los Angeles, California, and i never forget it, Drake Stadium at UCLA. At night, I ran in my race, some girl cut me off, and my counselor knew I was getting really angry, so she decided to walk me to the dorm, and we saw this lady walking across the field. My counselor said, stop. Wait a minute, Loretta. Stop right now. I want to talk. I want you to meet somebody. And this lady was going through the field. I could see her with this note clip in her hand. She had a hat on and a skirt. And I thought to myself, why is that lady wearing a skirt? But I guess she was <laughs> here, talked at the beginning of the, the whole <laughs> And she said to me, she introduced me, and Eunice knew that I was upset for some reason. She read my mind, and that was in 1972. And as time went by, Several years later, I went down to New York Avenue. I'll never forget it. The office was there in the 80s, early 80s. I met her the second time in 80 at a race. She says, I want you to come and be my friend. And she gave me this little card. I still have it today. And she says, I want you to come over to our office. So she uh, got in touch with the lady who was helping me out. And the lady brought me to the office. And that had to be 1983, 84. And we just became friends. We, I would go down to New York Avenue. I knew how to use the Greyhound bus. And I got off the bus. I knew how to get on the subway and come over to the office. So somebody would pick me up. And that was it. And I met mm-hmm. a friend who was a friend of mine forever. And I thought, oh, well, when I first met her, I said, yeah, everybody says they want to be a friend and then want away from you. They 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 never even think about you. But that wasn't her. That mm-hmm. wasn't her. Yeah. 
she asked me at a race in Washington, D.C. I never forget as long as I live in 1980. She says, I want you to be my friend. And I like looked at her. Awesome. I thought she didn't take me serious and dug in her pocketbook and got this little card out. And then the office evidently was on K Street. And then the next year or two, I made the trip down on the bus and that was it. Awesome. Years later, I met her friend, her, her friend, her son, Tim, and he was just young. But I didn't really get to know him until several years later. And she wanted me to, you know, do a job, favor for her. I was like, what's your favor? She says, I want you to talk to my son. And I was like, well, Eunice, because she wouldn't let me call her Mr. Schreiber. Yeah. I I know your son. I know Tim. I know Mark. But I don't know him that well. She says, well, you'll know him. And she wanted me to talk to her son because her and her husband was getting older. And she wanted to make sure that Special Olympics was in the right hands. Yeah. And I remember driving in the car with Tim. And him, him and I would talk up a breeze. And he would say, well, Loretta, what do you think? And I would say, you know, Tim, I have a favor to, to do for your mother. Oh, what is it? And then he knew. I said, well, are you interested in working Special Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> he came to uh, tier person of the games in Connecticut. So those, you know, to prepare for those games, yeah. Like in 92, 93, and those games went off in 95. And the next day, ching, ching, I won that bet. He became the person who ran Special Olympics. And he still teases me to this day. I owe him. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, um, our guest on the, the Special Chronicle show is Loretta Claiborne, Chief Inspiration Officer at Special Olympics. Uh, Talk to us. Um, sports are a big part of our movement, and uh, I compete in uh, swimming and basketball. Um, starting unified golf, which that conversation of starting unified golf actually started when we were in Abu Dhabi at those World Games last year in March 2019, um, and and now so like like that first conversation um, um, started there, um, and and so. Tell us about the sports that you have competed in and and if you're currently um, still competing sure. today. Of course, Special Olympics in my area, the first things they had was swimming and athletics, <laughs> which we call track and field. Mm-hmm. And it was a no-brainer. Everybody wanted to run. And if you could swim, everybody wanted to swim. Well, I learned how to swim, and I wasn't too good at swimming, and I said to my coach, I looked at her one day. <laughs> I said, Miss Michelle, you know black people don't swim. They only they float. They just drown because they got too much muscle. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that's a myth. I said, no, it's not. And it wasn't a myth. But I started out with athletics. She, they tried to get me into swimming because athletics was a no-brainer for me. I ran around the housing project. There was boundaries to where I could run, and I've been running since 1966 and my brother was a cross country runner. So I'd to get out working dishes. I would follow my brother mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I started out. And then I, I did a little a couple contests in swimming, 
I didn't fare out well, but I achieved my goal was to learn how to swim. And I did achieve that. And there were other sports that I'd done, but right now I do like 10 sports. I mean, I play bocce. Well, you can't do anything right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, if I was currently practicing right now, I would be in, my sport would be soccer. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I still run just for exercise yeah. stuff. But I did long distance running. I did softball. These are sports I don't do anymore, but softball I don't do anymore. Swimming started out with athletics and track and field, but I'd still run just for exercise and fitness. Yeah. And I golf. I play floor hockey. I play soccer, basketball. What else do I do? Tennis, volleyball. I just started volleyball. Last year, I started kayaking last year. I wanted to try some new sports. I figure skate. I ski. I used to roller skate. I don't roller skate anymore because they just turned it to just regular racing. And I like to do the figures like in figure skate. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of sports. Awesome. Well, um, as you know, um, uh, athlete leadership is another uh, um, part of all programs that we have, especially Olympic sports, leadership, health, um, and so to, um, we're both um, we're both athlete leaders. And t- uh, t- tell us about your involvement as an, as an athlete leader. How did you first become a a athlete leader? And tell us a little bit about your a little bit about your um, leadership journey. Sure. Well, back in the eighties, I started out speaking with my advocate, Miss Janet McFarland, who worked for the ARC. Vania at the time. She worked right under the governor in, in the office. And that's where she first met me. And I remember when I first met her, I met her through a lady that lived next door because I babysat for that lady's kids. And I had just came back from the Boston Marathon or something like that. And I was babysitting. And at that time, the governor was trying to find somebody to speak for the ARC. And he wanted a consumer to speak. They, they didn't like the title client because that's mm-hmm. what they refer to us as client. And I don't like that title either because that's like you're begging for welfare. But anyway, getting back to that, Miss Janice says, Loretta, you can speak. And I started speaking and she took me to a group of people down near Philadelphia called Speaking for Ourselves. And I started talking in that group. Special Olympics didn't have athlete leadership back in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Finally, as time went by, I was back and forth to the office on the Greyhound bus. And then I seen a friend of mine. His name was Dave Lennox, who worked for Special Olympics. He just retired. And I looked on his door. I said, Mr. Dave, why you got that sign up on your door? Show me the athlete. He said, come in, Loretta. And he sat me down. He says, the reason that sign is up there, because in this office, there are a lot of athletes who work here. Renee, and he started, I said, oh, yeah, Renee, Bobby, I started naming them down the road. Yeah. He said, yes, you know, this program is for our athletes. And we hear people like me, meaning him, we're always talking. And I keep telling the staff, show me the athlete. You have a voice. You can speak. So we're going to try to start this new program. This was in the... 93, 94, we're going to start this program. And 
I was sitting there thinking, I said, well, what is it? He says, well, I think you athletes have a voice and you should be in the process of helping to see what you want as athletes. As time went by, athlete leadership was created. And the mm-hmm. first program they started out was with was Global Messengers, but it wasn't called Global Messengers yeah. then. It was called Athletes for Outreach. And that's to get the athletes to speak in their local programs about raising money, about the awareness of Special Olympics, what Special Olympics does for them. And I remember the simple speech. It was basically, hello, my name is Loretta Claiborne. I'm a Special Olympics athlete in York County, and my sports are bowling, hockey, basketball. And then I would talk about my sports, and hopefully at the end, another person would come in who's on the stage with me and talk about the program and then try to raise money, try to raise awareness, and just basically try to keep people involved. Now you look at athlete leadership, governance, you have uh, athlete input councils, you have athletes on boards, you have athletes doing everything. Yeah, awesome. So in that short, you know, 1994, 95, it was amazing how athlete leadership has expanded and it does take a role in the whole process of the games. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you said that, so the, uh, the original name was athletes for outreach. And so the way the athlete leadership program, you said started in 93, 90, 1993 oh, to 90. You know, that was it. That was in the talking points of it. And there was a couple of people that get up, a couple of athletes, we get up on the stage and, you know, say their name and about Special Olympics. It wasn't really formed in, into a really form, yeah. really good form of having athletes taking the other roles. Because I remember Miss Janet and the local athletes, it was Jeannie Gooding, Tim Moran, and we found out that Tim is not a speaker, but he has a phenomenal memory and he has a heck of a voice. Mm-hmm. So then they start, you know, with the athlete leadership. Yeah. And, Tim, his leadership part was to sing the national anthem at our games, at our local games. And that's basically how it started. Awesome. And, and so were you, I, I know, um, I, like I, I've met, um, um, Custo Edwards and, and I think he was in one of the first, I think he, he was in the first, class of Southern Tribal International Global Messengers. So, 1998. Uh, yeah, so were you one of the first um, one of the first athletes in the athlete leadership program? I never took a course. Wow. I was a part of the athlete leadership program back then. In fact, I introduced that first class which Kester, Stacy, uh, there's a lady from Sonia something. Her she's from your state, Illinois. Yeah. And um, I introduced that first group, but I never took the classes because basically, with Miss Janet being my advocate, she was the one that told me that she wanted me to go and speak on behalf of the Ark in Pennsylvania. Awesome. And so. Um, when you introduced that that first class of 
SSI GMs. What? Tell us a little bit about what was that like? Um, uh, get into introduce and meet that first class, and now. Um, so I'm in the current class of yes. SSI GMs, and it's a really big honor and a big responsibility that just like you have in your role as chief inspiration officer, to be a to be a Southern Survival in International Global um, uh, uh, Messenger, it's a big honor, and you get a, a lot of amazing opportunities. So, to tell us what was it like? Uh, Get into meet and 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 talk with the the, the first um, class. I know when I, I I've had an opportunity to um, talk talk with Custo a few times, and I interviewed him a few times on uh, on this program um, uh, when I was in Washington D.C. And I know one time when I interviewed Custo, and I he talked about getting an honorary SP award. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was in tears when I asked him to talk about that. And so what, tell us a little bit about your experience meeting the, the first class of SSI GMs. Well, when I first met the first class, I uh, flew out to Chicago and I kind of knew what was going to happen because they had interviewed these people. I didn't know none of them. So I tried to really, um, uh, introduce myself, but the, session, it happened so fast. It's like you ever have something that's so exciting and boom, it's over. Yeah. You prepare and prepare and prepare and it's over. Well, I did get to talk to Stacy, the young lady, because they wanted the girls in skirts and she wanted to wear pants. And we were trying to tell her that uh, we like the ladies in skirts so it looks more uniform. So you could it was easier for the international people and people around the world to point out that those are the ladies who have the skirts on and those are the guys and that who have the pants on. We had this jacket. And if a woman had pants on at the time, it, she looked just like the guys. If her hair was, of course, like mine. If yeah. I have a jacket on and I'm standing in a bunch of men and I had the same jacket on the same khakis as they have, I looked the same. So they wanted me to work on getting Miss Stacy to wear slacks. And finally we... I mean, to wear a skirt. And finally, I worked with her. She was my person to work with to prep her for this. And we got her to wear the skirt. It it was tough. And then I got to talk to Kester a little bit. And Ephraim, he just passed away. But I got to talk to some of the athletes. And it was Sonia or some... It was Sonia, I think her name was. She was from Illinois. yeah. And I remember her. So I got to talk to a few of them at a short scan, but their schedules were so busy. So basically yeah, it was yeah. to memorize their name, to introduce them. And that was my job at the time. Awesome. Soon as they were introduced and got their plaques and everything, they got their pictures taken. Woo, they were off to a, another event. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Schrober and I got left at the library because we went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> my meeting of the global messengers at that time, the Sergeant Shriver global messengers. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, we'll we're going to met them here, you know, back and forth as they were doing different roles that it was really yeah. neat. I would see like the young lady from 
Chicago area. And then I would see Kester somewhere. So then I got to really meet, know them. Neat. And better. yeah. And, and uh, we'll get into a little bit, we're going to go ahead and take a short sponsor break, but when we come back, we'll, um, one of the things we'll talk about is, um, I, I think I forgot to put it in, in the notes, but we'll talk about um, when we first met at the 50th, but then also when we were together in Abu Dhabi and you you you, you got to meet um, Mo of all class of Southern Survival International Global Mission Dills. Um, so, uh, and, uh, plus we'll touch on, you know, 50 Game Changers um, and when you had a, a movie made about you and getting the ESPY Award. Uh, so those and uh, lessons learned from being in, uh, involved in athlete leadership and being a, a public speaker. So all that is coming up uh, after uh, the break. So um, don't hit pause. Uh, you can fast forward if you want, but don't don't hit pause. Augustus Loretta Claybone on uh, the Special Chronicles show uh, right here on SpecialChronicles.com. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. Hi, my name is Lisa Noble, and I'm a Combat Energy Force Ambassador and an athlete with Special Olympics Illinois. Hi, my name is Daniel Spukowski, and I also am a Combat Energy Force Ambassador and founder of a company called Special Chronicles. The Combat Energy Force program is a program that hires people with disabilities to teach the public how to save energy and money. It's the country's first energy efficiency program of its kind. Saving energy is especially important while everyone is at home due to COVID-19. We're using more electricity than ever before. Just think about how many more times you are opening the refrigerator door these days. And while the economy is stressed, it's more critical than ever to save money where we can. Following these tips can save energy and money in this time of COVID-19. Wash your clothes in cold water and use the dryer sparingly. Your dryer can take up to seven times more energy than the washroom. Turn off and unplug any electrical devices or power strips you are not using. Electrical devices can continue to zap power even when turned off if they're still plugged in. We call them vampire devices. Use LED bulbs. They use 25% less energy than incandescent bulbs and last up to 25 times longer saving you lots of money over time. Keep your refrigerator between 35 and 38 degrees. And be sure to use energy style appliances. And last but not least, check out comments.com slash home savings for more tips and rebates. Lisa and I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. Remember, we are all in this together. Stay healthy. And stay safe. Bye. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Please support this podcast at specialchronicles.com slash give. That's specialchronicles.com slash give. And quick message from a brief PSA. We're not just athletes. We are the ambassadors of an uprising. Peaceful protesters. In a rebellion against anyone who has a fear of difference. 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 Our demands are equality. 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 Dignity. 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 And the recognition of our shared humanity. We will not stop 
or accept anything less. Today, our world is more divided than ever. And coming together has never been more urgent. The revolution is inclusion. Find out more at jointherevolution.org. You're listening to the Special Chronicles show right here on specialchronicles.com. Our, our guest is uh, Loretta Claiborne, Chief Inspiration Officer at Special Olympics, uh, for uh, sitting down for a conversation uh, all about a whole story. And welcome back, Loretta. Thank you. And l- l- let's now move on and and tell us a little bit about the lessons that you learned from being involved in athlete leadership, uh, even though you were never kind of officially trained in the Special Olympics athlete leadership program. But you know, I guess lessons that you learned of being a public speaker for our movement and in the athlete and and in the athlete leadership program. Um. The lessons I've learned through being through athlete leadership, there were a lot of lessons. And one of the lessons I really learned that if I uh, open my voice, open my mouth and use it in a productive way, I can go much farther than using it in a negative way. And one of the lessons I learned is uh, I could take what I've learned from athlete leadership anywhere. And it's funny because even in my community, there would be a group of people sitting and talking and they'll say, oh, well, there's a meeting night, blah, 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 blah. Then everybody goes to the meeting and they sit back and I'm like, you know, we're here at the Special Olympics meeting. We're all athletes. And now we're here to talk about how our program is going to be ran. Mm-hmm. All of us got to speak. So basically, I took those skills that I lo- used from athlete leadership where you have to sometimes stand up and start the fire you know, strike the match or flick the lighter to start the fire to light the candle because everybody else is going to sit around and the first person who gets up and really takes an initiative to start asking the questions, then everybody looks. And I'll turn around and say to my friends, I says, you know what? I was asking the questions and we all said we were going to come to the meeting and talk to the coaches about how we want to do our sports. But it's one person talking. Now, all of us should be talking as a team. Mm-hmm. So when we had our break, we came back, and then people started asking questions. So it came back to those athlete leadership skills. Awesome. And you could use that in everyday life. Yeah, awesome. And and now we have uh, so, some uh, – I'm um, involved in helping to, uh, as an athlete trainer, to train new – athletes uh in some of the new trainings that we have um including and, and i was in dublin um a year ago last october for the e when we when they launched the new unified leadership um and 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 and, and so it, it's amazing the um even new opportunities that were given and maybe um uh, um maybe can you talk a little bit about the new unified leadership that um, that that is beginning to uh, as we it, it it's just now starting to uh, uh, I, th- I think more programs are, are just now starting to learn about 
what unified leadership is, but can you maybe talk a little bit about what what you see as unified it's leadership? Just like unified sports, but when you look at unified leadership, you're going to talk about unified leadership in the schools yeah. where two students work together on a sports team or two students might work together in a club as uh, where students come together and talk about different issues in the school and the programs in the school or the school play and how that school play should ran, be ran. Here, you know, the person with intellectual disability and, and the person without the disability come together and they work on how can I take that role in the play, the school play that I want to do, even though I have a disability or a physical challenge, and they will get together and work. And with the Special Olympic athlete, it could be like at their job. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be like for, for, say, the boss is so busy, but if you have a unified person and a unified uh, and the athlete work together on the job. They take the leadership skill of doing that job. It could be used in so many different ways. Uh, even a person who is out in the community wants to join a club. Well, he'll have the skills from the unified leadership that he or she has taken and said, you know, I like to join the Rotary, but I don't know much about the Rotary. And being a person with intellectual disability if I just have that little bit of help that somebody can help get me through, I think I could do the rotary. And that's basically what it is, is people taking roles, working together. One doesn't speak for the person, but helps guide that person. And then the, so the person that he's helped guiding helps teach him about how it is to be a part of that team. Yeah. So, Everybody ha- pulls the rope the same time. Yeah, it's it's amazing that I think once more people start to get involved in the new unified leadership program, that I think that could really even go beyond uh, our sports pro- programs, beyond all leadership programs, but into the ma- hopefully into the mainstream, and the mainstream. community. Yeah, sort of like what's your job at United. I'm yeah. Pretty- Somebody has worked with you on how to do the logistics yeah. or even beyond your job when it comes to talk about union or, or something like that, something else that comes up, you might have somebody to go to and that might be a mentor or, or mm-hmm. you might choose even that person and say, hey, John, I know you know a lot about the reading and the writing and input and output of what's going to change in our job. Could you give me a hand? Yeah, yeah. Leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or he might come back to you and say the same thing. Yeah. Because you work there longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh you mentioned at the at the top of the program about about um being the the chief inspiration no officer at Special Olympics and you I wanna to touch on something that you brought up at the beginning of the program. Um, that you you said that it, it was a uh, tough title, that it's a tough job. And me, can you explain a little bit more for our um, listeners on what do you mean by uh, that being, um, having this job, having this title as Chief Inspirational Officer at Special Olympics, um, that a lot of people see, see you as, and I'm sure a lot of people probably don't really realize um, 
just like being a, a, a song tribal international global messenger, I'm sure the same thing is for you. A lot of people see oh, all these amazing opportunities that you or I that, that we get, but like they don't realize just how tough of a job oh, it is. It's just like it playing the sport. What? It's like playing the sport. Yeah. You know, they, uh, the Michael Jordan do that hoop, but how many times did it take him to run up and do that, dunk that ball and turn around and spin? They don't know how many times it took him to do that. And mm-hmm. it's just like being an international, a global messenger or, you know, me being the chief inspirational officer. They don't realize that you have to go to boards. You have to do a lot of reading. You have to do a lot of preparation. You're working with different attitudes of people who might be new and come onto the board and don't understand why an athlete is serving on the board. Or It's, it's, it's a whole uh, portfolio of things that you have to do. I might be called. And of course, now we can't do it down the pandemic, but there were times where I was at home and I got called into SOI. And I had to find the quickest Greyhound going or hitch a ride to somebody. Now they have uh, it's better transportation now. But just think about I had to be down at the office because this is going on. And I get called. I just came in from something else. And I get this call and say I have to be at Washington. I had to jump up and go to Washington whether I want to get that extra hour of sleep or not. Mm-hmm. Or be at a board meeting because there's a tough discussion. And everyone on that board has to be there. And I could have two choices. I could sit there and act like I don't know, or I could be a part of the solution. And hopefully, me and the chief inspirational officer, it pressures you to be a part of the solution. So it could be a board project. It could be something happened. uh, It could be a matross of things, but that is your job. You're there to represent the movement. You're not there to represent Loretta Claiborne. I'm there to represent the movement. So what is asked of me? it makes it hard on me because it's hard for me to understand what I read. Yeah. So it takes extra times. Like when I go to board meetings, I said, please send my materials a little bit early so I can sit down and read them and understand them. Yeah. People, they think, Oh, you're the Sergeant Shriver global messenger. You get a nice suit, you get a ring, you you get this and that, but they don't realize that when they go to, you know, different events, say if it's the World Games and they bring the Sergeant Shriver yeah. Global those people are on their toes. There's yeah. no time for rest. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I I, I know. You've been there. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it, it's... Same thing there's, with the Chief Inspirational Officer. Yeah, yeah, there's what a, a lot of people um, realize with, like, the um, wing or the suit or, or, like, what they don't realize that it takes us a lot more time to, uh, a lot more time to process and read, or practice the speech, or get away for the reception. Like, I I know like the two weeks that, that we were in Abu Dhabi, like by the middle, like I think by the Sunday, so like like right at the like halfway point uh, during those games, like we were so tired that we we did take a break by the pool um, at at the hotel that we were all staying at. But like, yeah, a, a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot that goes into this job, the, these jobs, whether you're a Southern survival international global messenger or you're a, you're the chief inspirational officer. So it's, yeah. 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 
I, I think it's 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 really it's I, I think it, it gives all listeners a, a lot of insight. You're giving our listeners a lot of insight into the behind the scenes of of what really goes into these types of high profile jobs. Exactly, and then you can get there prepared. Like I had to speak to the Crown Prince, and they said, Loretta, you're going to be the keynote speaker. They didn't tell me ahead of that. They just said I was one of a panel of people. Yeah. Well, I have to be ready for every, you know, anything. Yeah. I remember, and you're, you're just like being the Sergeant Robert Global Messenger. I'm pretty sure you went to events and they says, okay, um, Daniel, you're speaking at this first, and you're and so and so speaking at this second, and all of a sudden you get there, and they said, Daniel, you're not speaking at this group. You're going to speak at the next group. Yeah, and yeah. Your mind is prepared to speak at that group. Yeah, and then you have to like qu- quickly. It's kind of like um, this um, on Gumby that you, that you you have to learn how to like be flexible to change quickly. And you, yeah. you, um, touched on, um, and that was a, another note that I made, not in the notes I sent you, but like that, um, uh, when you spoke to the, the, the Crown Prince, we, uh, and our entire class of San Travel International Global Marginals, we attended that it, it was an invitation only event that, um, at that, I'm blanking the name of the hotel, but that seven star hotel, um, yes. right before the welcome reception was a, I think it was called Loretta Claybones. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of that event, but you spoke about women in, in sports. Women in sports. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Tell us and, a little bit. Of, and and the Crown Prince was there, and and we were all there in in the audience. And tell us because that 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 was an amazing. Um, I I know that we had to well wear headphones for for the translation and, and but exactly. that, that 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 was an amazing event to um I don't know if it was videotaped or not but uh if if those I are, think with the Crown Prince I think they didn't allow video yeah. because when he's in the presence and in fact I went to an, I went back to Abu Dhabi uh, last October, this past October and um uh, I was with his brother with the schools. And I've been speaking at the schools there, and I was supposed to go back, but then the pandemic yeah. came. <laughs> but just being in that group of people, and at first I thought I was just one of the people on the panel, and then when I got there, they said, "No, you're speaking. You're you're our keynote." So I'm looking at my friends that who were serving on the panel, and then actually I did get to serve on the panel, but it's it's pretty tough because I don't use notes. And then I'm in a country where it's pretty tough if I have to deliver this message and get these people to understand in this part of the world about the power of women being in sport, if that if I can just open their eyes. And here after that, I thought to myself, wonder what's going to happen with this. And now here's a crown prince who wants his country to be the most inclusive country for people of determination. Yeah. They don't even use people with intellectual yeah. disability. That said a lot to me. Yeah, it did. It, it, it did. It said a lot. And this crown prince, he wants his country to be number one 
and inclusion of, and acceptance of women doing sport is games at 50% women, 40%. Yeah. 40%. But, you know, to go from 15% to 40 is a huge drop. Yeah. And must have impressed the crown prince so much that he now wants all his schools inclusive. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think that the legacy that he, the, like we will there a part of history, like that was. I think that, that like being being there that was a historic moment for not just the UAE, but I think for, for the globe and in particular for that region yeah. that. And I, I, I even like walking around there, like the the whole tome of people with that uh, we we refer to us as people with determination, and I think that that was the legacy for. I I I think, and maybe you can comment on this. I, I think that there was two legacies coming out of those games. Is one was really changing the tome of instead of referring to us as people with intellectual disabilities, but people with determination. I think that that was one, yeah, that that was one legacy that hopefully more countries, including here in the States, here in the in America, that we can hopefully adapt to. And the other one was more women in sports. So maybe do you want to touch on, I think those, and if I mean, if, or first, if you agree and then maybe comment on those two legacies that I think kind of came out of those games that really changing it to people with determination and then to increase more um, women in sports? Yes. And you got to remember you're doing in the area where women were not even at one time allowed to speak. Mm -hmm. Here's a crown prince that has belief in people. And you got to remember that country was only built since 1972. I remember being in high school, my teacher said something about a country being built in the desert. And I was like, hold my head down and I got detention because I wasn't listening. And I'm like, yeah, right. How are you going to have a country in the desert? And, and you see what was there. Yeah. I, they have an infrastructure that makes us, us look sick. <laughs> Back to women in sport, just to have the strength to imply into a games that we should have more women taking part in sport sent the message because even they just had a big competition in Africa. In Africa, they decided to have this competition. It was just held like back in January, and it was fifty percent women. So they saw what went happen in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and they said, "We're we're willing to do this to make more opportunities for women." Mm-hmm. And then getting back to people of determination, where the Crown Prince says, "I want all of our schools open." Just recently, he has given some is huge amount of money to open up more schools to become more inclusive with unified school champion school programs across the world and in neighboring countries like Africa, continent of Africa and other countries where there is no support. He has given a boatload full of money. I don't want to give the price to help other people. So this person, this crown prince, Put his actions where his mouth is. Awesome, awesome, yeah. And I, I think hopefully, hopefully, 
a lot of other world leaders, and we won't get into, especially with those with those an election here in the states happening in a month. We don't want to get into politics on this show, but like I think hopefully, ho- hopefully more world leaders can loan from the crown prince of Abu Dhabi that they it, are that they are that, that, I think yeah you can see things happening yeah so being more open yeah one of our guests it's a good thing yeah. it's good for all humanity yeah absolutely yeah good for all humanity I think that's a, a, a good lesson so we're gonna quickly move on um, uh, our guest on the Special Chronicles show is Loretta Claybone Chief Inspirational Officer of Special Olympics. Uh, and share with us maybe a brief. We don't we don't have that much more time in, in the program, but maybe share a brief um, favorite memory of being the chief inspiration officer. Is, is there a favorite memory that you have from this? You job? know, um, there are memories I have, but it's it's really it's just memorable to see Special Olympics how much it has grown and how it has taken a body of people who weren't recognized for their gifts that they have been blessed with or even seen. So if you're saying about being a memory about being a chief inspiration officer, a sense of chief inspiration officer is the person who helps the movement grow. I would say about the whole movement, the power of what people can do, just seeing you. I mean, I cried when I sat at the 50th anniversary and heard about your job and saw the clip of working at United. That is a great memory to me. And that empowerment of people. So my, my biggest memory is seeing how much I was empowered and see how much people are empowered around the world. Yeah, I would have to say when it comes to the crown prince, again, the empowerment of a society that was so close is now open and willing to give and work with all people, yeah. women, people with intellectual disability, inclusions in their school. I mean, to see the power and the blessings that has came out. Mm-hmm. Person who believed that someone who was told they can't now can. Yeah. If given the chance, amazing. Yeah, it's amazing that we're able to feel empowered to really make a difference and make a change within society. Um, and so, you, there was an, you have to. I, I uh, forgot to actually look up when this movie came out, but I believe there was a movie. In 2000, yeah, that's why I and I I I haven't seen it, but hopefully I can see it, and maybe you can also in in if you can share with share with us what was it like uh, having a movie made about your life? I believe it was called the Loretta Claybone story, and 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 maybe share with us what 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 was that like having these Hollywood filmmakers make a movie about your life, and and also where can we watch this uh, this uh, movie. Well, um, there probably could be a copy sent to you, but if I were you, I would go to Special Olympics Incorporated uh, and, and ask them for a copy. But when they first did the movie, I said to myself, no, I'm not into that. My life is my life. And then after some persuasion from Tim Shriver and 
some woman, one of my best friends, Nora Mason, mm-hmm. to me, Loretta, what? You let them make a movie on your life. I said, no, I'm not into that. I don't mm-hmm. do that. You know, that's just not my thing. And then one night, I was sitting with Nora. She had a little baby and her husband and I, and we were sitting. We went to this little restaurant and just happened to be sitting there looking over the city of Waterbury. And she says, Loretta, maybe this could change somebody's life. And she says, what do you think about having the movie done? I said, I'm not into that, Nora. I'm sorry, Mrs. Mason. I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we were sitting there just picking at my food and she says, Loretta, did you ever think about the child who was treated bad like you? And then something hit me in the head. And I turned around and I looked and she says, just think about the kid who lives on the other side of the track. Doesn't even have an intellectual disability, but just because of where he or she lives at, they're looked down at. Or just because of what he or she is not as smart or has the financial means is looked down at. Says so maybe this movie could help another child feel better about a child like you during your time. And I looked at her and I said, I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. Then I was over at my friend's house, Tim Shriver. They had a couple little kids, just little tiny guys. I would go up and stay with them on mm-hmm. Cleveland Avenue in Connecticut. And one night he came down. It was a long day at the office. We were working the games and I was doing a 60,000 piece mailing and going out and speaking to get volunteers and raise money. And that evening it was still nice and sunny out and it was hot. And he said to me, Loretta, did you ever think he's sitting there after he had his meal reading the paper? And he says, Loretta, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, yeah, Tim, what's up? And I'm sitting there knitting. He says, um, what do you think about doing the movie? And I looked at him. I said, I told you once. I told you twice. I said, I'm not into that. And then we got to talking. I said, okay, Tim. I know what Miss Norris said to me. If it could help one child in the school feel better about somebody like me or another child who has a disability or comes from the other side of the track or might live differently or speak another language, if it could help a child know how it feels by watching this movie. Can, they can make a difference in somebody else's life. It's worth it. Awesome. To go. I wasn't happy about it at first. I was very strict about the script. Uh, they did three scripts. And then one script, I had my advocate read it and just, she would sit down with me and we would go over it. And I said to her, Miss Janet, that doesn't sound like me. I don't like how they're saying the words because my mom was always so strict about my English and how I use my words. My mom was very strict about that. She didn't want me to walk around and stumbling over words. And she says, in my house, you go to school to learn to speak and you want to learn how to speak correctly in my house. And that's how my mom was. And so when they got to like the third square, I said, I'm satisfied. And then they made the movie. Awesome, yeah. So, so, so it's it's really because you looked over the script and looked over the script and looked over the script again and, and again. I had again. somebody who understood so that. It, yeah, down there, and, and so, she would. We would read. She would read so much, and then I would read it, and I said, "You know, Miss Janet, this doesn't seem like me." And then I was dissatisfied with one thing in the movie. 
they didn't have me graduating from high school. It was like I got kicked out of school and never graduated. And that was my mom's major dream for her, Loretta, to yeah. graduate from high school with a diploma. So most of the movie is pretty true to your life, but true to the fact, the, true to the fact, but they Hollywood has liberties. They do take liberties. Okay. And that's why I had the disclaimer in the front of the movie. I fought to get that disclaimer. Yeah. Well, well kind of now once people watch that, they let's fast forward now to the 50th doing, um, the, on, uh, join the revolution.org. Those, um, I guess in partnership with ESPN, they produced a 50, 50 game changers videos. And yes. one of them was on, on you. And I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes. Uh, for if our listeners go to specialchronicles.com and look for the, in the show notes for episode 397 of the special chronicles show, um, we'll put a link to where people can watch the 50 game changers, uh, episode that, they did on yours, which is, I think, only maybe, what, two to three minutes long. And so now, if we fast forward from the movie to now ESPN producing this 50 Game Changers video, tell us, because um, th- that was a very small snapshot of, of your life, but maybe now t- yes. to talk about you already have experience of being in, in front of the camera, being interviewed, being... Uh, in the spotlight, and so now t- tell us about the Fifty Game Changers video. What was that? What was that like? That was awesome. I really liked that. In fact, I liked that better than I did the movie <laughs> <laughs> because it was really about talking about what I felt of not having a voice as a young person and how powerful your voice can be. That Fifty Game Changers spoke to anyone, not only to people who have intellectual disabilities. It basically spoke to everyone because there are a lot of children out there who are very, very bright, who have a lot going for them and don't realize that that their voice, that if they have the chance to use their voice, they could go farther. And it specifically, it didn't focus on sport. It didn't focus on anything. It was about the power of your voice. And when I spoke to the young people who were uh, challenged with their environment of where they lived at. None of those people had intellectual disability. I think there was maybe one or two in that whole group of students at that Christmas Attic Center. Mm-hmm. But these students, young people who had one more chance in school or it was jail for them. And these were people that you could see on their faces okay, it doesn't matter if I'm black. It doesn't matter if I'm poor. It doesn't matter. I need to step my game up. I do have a voice. I can use my voice in a powerful way. And to see those young people and to see the faces there, it that can make a difference in so many people. And right now, during this pandemic, I'm pretty sure there are people watching that Yeah. Or, or picking it up somewhere on some kind of website and say, hey, you know, it's, this is not the end. I can mm-hmm. use my voice. I can use myself in many different ways. Yeah. And me to open up. Yeah. And it's, it's it, yeah. And it's amazing that from the sports that will compete in 280, 
now the athlete leadership program has has really helped to not only amplify but really give yourself, myself, all of us uh, Southern Tribal International Club of Messengers, and actually all athlete leaders within our movement, this platform to really share our voices on a global stage. And it gives the general public uh, the chance to listen and hear. Yeah. Hey, that guy over there, just because he has an intellectual disability, that guy's pretty smart over there. We need to listen to him. He just brought up something at this meeting. Yeah. A regular city meeting. I was just at a city meeting with uh, a lady who I'm friends with back home. She's our local coach. And they were having problems in her community. And I went to one of the meetings and I just sat there and I listened and listened and listened. And I said, you know what? We went through that same problem. And I put my hand up to the mayor. I said, maybe we need to get back into having these meetings starting with here in the Albemarle area, why don't we have one of these meetings over in the West End? And why don't we have one in the South End and hear the polite of the people? And you know what? They got a lot out of that meeting and, and the people were like looking at me. I said, well, just like the blight that's sitting around the city. I said, it's, you know, if we get our neighborhoods to cleaning up and coming together, maybe things would be better. Or just have a cop driving through our neighborhood and talking to the general people who sitting out on the stoop in the summer and say, Hey, what's happening in your neighborhood? Maybe we could settle. And people like it was their meeting and I'm from another neighborhood. And I figure, you know what? I have a voice. I'm going to use it. And since I know the mayor and since I know a lot of the place, I want to put my hand up. I said, you know, a lot of this started on our end of town and now it's on this end. And this is mm-hmm. shame. Such a beautiful city here. It's the first capital in the United States that the residents have to put up with this. People riding down the streets on, on bikes and motorbikes in the middle of Market Street. They cramped down on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people had seen me in the market and they said, Loretta, I couldn't believe you at that meeting. I said, hey, I could have sat there like a clam in this shell and closed my shell. I said, but I live in this city too. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And so we... You mentioned Olio being at uh, the 50th anniversary that took place a couple of years ago in July 2018. Um, since it was in my hometown in in Chicago, uh, it, it was an amazing event. And I think that was the first place where we met. I think uh, I had just finished it was at the 50th, um, at the, you know, the U.S. business meeting with all the CEOs, of, mm-hmm. of all the programs, and I had so I I had so back up previously. I had interviewed Tim in the hallway of um. So like Tim was a guest, I think back on episode three hundred and one. I had interviewed Tim, and then I had introduced him uh, on stage. And so after I had got off stage, I was uh, like, I went to like where you where we were standing on the side of that room and Tim was on stage speaking and when Tim was speaking, I had turned around and that was, I think that was the first time when we had first met. Um, and we share with our listeners a little bit about that when, when Tim was speaking and when we had first met, I think we, we were talking a little bit quietly <laughs> when Tim was speaking. Um, yeah. So just in case if Tim is listening, um, we, we, we will listen to him, but like, so 
tell us a, a little bit about what what was that like uh, when we first met and back back in Chicago. Well, like I said, things it was just like when you as a Sergeant Shriver Global Messenger go to a games. It goes one event, next event, next event. Yeah. A lot of times you are moving so fast yeah. that you don't remember every little event. Yeah. Kind of remember us talking, but we were just in there basically just introducing to, ourselves. And yeah. You were talking about something, and I was talking about you because they had said something about you working at United Airlines, and I was so impressed with that. And uh, I just think we just basically introduced ourselves. Yeah, and we that was – about little things yeah. that we do in Special Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't ask you what sport you do, and that's normally something I ask. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was like, it was really... Because that was short. the day that they spoke. Yeah. And they switched the whole program because of the Crown Prince. Yeah, that was... Oh, that was... Be, so I think when, when we first met was in Chicago, but then, yeah, with the Crown Prince, that was... A year later, I think in yeah. Abu Dhabi, yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they changed? So, so, so Tim was originally going to speak, or, or originally you were going to, originally you were going to speak on a panel, and and then it was just good, and then so then they changed it to where you were speaking. No, I think we met. We were at one time. They had the girl who sang. And she was going to college or something like that. Oh, yeah. Pre, yeah. And we were standing there, and Tim was going to speak, and it was like a luncheon type thing. And they changed everything around in that luncheon room. And then Tim went up. I was supposed to go up at the end and then give this person from the Crown Prince's Court some flowers or something like that. And then they changed the whole thing at the, the whole thing got changed. Yeah. were standing down just talking and I said uh, congratulations on working for United we got to just talking just to spill and then the whole thing was changed and I never did go back up to give the person from the crown prince's court flowers yeah yeah so let's tight in that room they had it so strict it it was (laughs) it was very tight in because of security yeah, yeah, and I, I think we had to bring our passports, and yeah, it was already yeah. the yeah. security was really there was yes. only in and like so like even, like all mentos couldn't even go in. I think Emily Klingo, she like she was the only staff that was with that was with us, and so yeah, it was an an amazing yeah. yeah. So let's let's now oh, really fast too. And I don't remember meeting you there. And I remember one time in Chicago and that was after they introduced you and doing the United thing. That's the, that's the place where I was, you know, crying and I lost my Kleenex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like this. Awesome. Well, we, um, we've got, um, we're a little bit over the hour milk. So we'll get just a few last minute things on, on this episode 397 of the special chronicle show. Our guest is Lord Claiborne, chief inspiration officer of special Olympics. And what, what do you see now as we look to the, the future of the, 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 the next, well, 
the the, the next fifty hundred years of special Olympics. Like I'm sure, like probably in the next fifty years, hundred years, we probably won't be here. But like, what do you think? As or I, I, I should say, what do you see as the future of our special Olympics movement? You know, I don't have my glass ball that I can look over. But <laughs> in the next. Uh, several years from now. First of all, we have to get over this pandemic. Yeah. You can see Special Olympics being recognized as a movement of inclusion for all people, and no matter where you're at, whether it's playing a sport, whether it's um, doing a job. But I also see that Special Olympics will probably be in every nook and cranny of on the globe. Yep. Absolutely. And our main thing is sport, providing sport. And number one, for people with intellectual disability. And number two, leading in inclusion. Yeah. To me, inclusion is when I'm not only invited to the dance and just sit and watch, and people says, oh, I include her at the dance. If I couldn't dance and if I couldn't have the benefits of the dance as everybody else, I, I'm not included. So being inclusion in all aspects of life. And I see Special Olympics as doing that across the world, breaking the boundaries of exclusion to inclusion for all people. Absolutely, yeah. Intellectual I, I, disability. I, I definitely agree with you, and you. T- I, I, I think that that's a great. If if we were to have that 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 ball to kind of look look into to see the future, I think, yeah, leading leading inclusion and leading like. When you talk about the three, I guess, three programs within Special Olympics, sport, leadership, and health, lead, do, do you maybe comment on, do, do, does that also in, include leading in inclusion in sport, leading in inclusion in leadership, and leading, leading in inclusion in health in all three of the, the uh, sport, leadership, and health programs? Leading in inclusion in all three of those? In all aspects of life. Yeah, in all aspects of life. Awesome. In all aspects of life. Yeah, that that's a very good I, I I I I definitely agree with you that I think we that we can get there and really lead in 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 all all aspects of life, all aspects of society to just really be a to be that leader in inclusion. Um, and who would have ever thought that it's that it it started back in 1968 when Eunice Kennedy Shriver had had created those first games? So, what tell us about the you 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 mentioned the Unified Champion Schools and Unified Sports? Talk to us briefly about the importance of Unified Champion Schools and. Uh, Within all, I I know schools today in 2020 are different, but tell us about the importance of you. You've gone to school. I'm sure you have visited schools across the states here, across in America, but all all over the globe as well. Like you, you said you and Tim visited schools in 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 Abu Dhabi and the UAE, um, but all over the globe and. In your visits in schools across the globe, talks about the the importance of unified champion schools. 
the importance of Unified Champion Schools is to bring people with and without intellectual disability into the same school social atmosphere. But when you look at it, prejudice, my mom always said, starts at home, whether it's against somebody's color or whether it's against what they believe or whether it's against something. It started at home. And for a lot of our children in schools, a lot of children aren't exposed to the, the students who are in a special education class down the hall or in the basement, such as what I did. Believe it or not, there are still a lot of schools like that, but it's breaking down. And the reason why that atmosphere is breaking down is because of this unified sports. And we don't look at this regular ed student to be the top football player to be a part of this program. We look at the general ed student who might be very bright, don't have a lot of time to support, but want to get out there and know and wonder why those children are separated down in that special education class. Why shouldn't they be a part of our school? Why shouldn't they be in the play? Why shouldn't they be a part? So it creates a prejudice by being close to that mm-hmm. class. So we came in with this unified champion schools, unified sports, and we're pouring those children who have different needs into the classroom slowly by introducing them and the regular ed students are coming together to say, hey, look, I go to William Penn Senior High School. I graduated from William Penn Senior High School and I'm so proud of where I graduated from school. Whereas a student with intellectual disability and other challenges can say, I graduated from William Penn Senior High School and I'm so glad I had the experience to be a part of my student body. So it's to break down the prejudice and boy, as you can see, how the whole school movement has changed towards people who are differently able and be bringing them a more, more part of their schools. And yes, there is still a lot of work to be done. Awesome. When you break down that prejudice, you break down the prejudice in the next leg of life when you come out and go to work and be in the community. Awesome. And t- talk to us now as we um, come to a close, talk to us about the importance of uh, of athlete leadership. We mentioned the athlete, uh, the, the very early years of the athlete leadership programs, but talk, talk to us about the, the importance. And I guess Mo, really talk about the, the imp, I guess, yeah. Talk about the, the impact that the athlete leadership program is having on our special Olympics movement, but really more as you, you, you mentioned it's really more about getting out into the mainstream uh, community. Yeah. Athlete leadership programs is, are very important even more today because a lot of our people are out in the world force uh, of working. A lot of our folks are out in the world force of playing sport and in their communities. And the athlete leadership is a guide to them taking more leadership roles in their community or in their program or in their sport. And we mm-hmm. find we know it's true now that mm-hmm. people train to lead. Absolutely. And say one day, one of our athlete leaders, and I've met a person, and I can say it's done happen. We have athletes as coaches. We have a woman, now she has health problems, but she was a true official in volleyball, whether it was college, whether it was high school or professional. She actually was a volleyball coach who was a paid member. So it goes to show that with the leadership skills that they learn, 
they can go on and fulfill their goals, whether it's in sport, whether it's in school. I'm pretty sure with some of the leadership skills that I've learned, if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be able to own a home and maintain it and take care of a budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, I think it's thanks to the um, Bank of America that is um, one of the main sponsors for athlete leadership program that they've got this, uh, I'm blinking on the name of this training that they have for us, but it's, I think it's better money habits. And it's an excellent, excellent program. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had, um, I'm, I know opportunity to uh, attend that they they, they um, one of the days doing a, a SSI GM training in Washington DC they they came out and talked to us all about that and that was really beneficial so that's one of the many I think uh, programs and trainings that we have as a part of our athlete leader that's one of my favorite programs yeah it is it is is that program. Yeah. So let's now um, a, a um, final question that I always ask when um, in Abu Dhabi, when there's a, a few of us SSI GMs were producing the Abu Dhabi Daily Show, which listeners can go back on specialolympics.org and do a search for uh, do a search for Abu Dhabi Daily Show, and you can find those. But a, a final question that that I asked all of those guests, and then I continue to always ask is, what does inclusion mean to you? So I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, as we come to a close, ask you as well, what does inclusion mean to you? You mentioned when we talked about inclusion about, well, when we talked about the future of Special Olympics and of our movement really leading to inclusion. But not now when we talk about that world inclusion and within the inclusion revolution, we talk a lot about inclusion um, within our movement, but when it comes down to it and we talk about inclusion, what does inclusion when mean to I, you? What does inclusion mean to me? Mm-hmm. Inclusion means to me, no matter what I choose to do in a public setting or anywhere in my life, whether it's my community, whether it's going to a club, whether it's going out to have a social gathering, that I am fully included and not excluded in any way. When I walk out my door and I decide that I want to go up to the park and there's something going on that's inviting the whole community, I'm fully included. I'm not excluded. So inclusion to me means I get to play the whole game. I get to be a part of the whole community. That's inclusion. Absolutely. So now share with our listeners, uh, this is the point of the Episode as as we come to a close, where you can kind of share how can our listeners connect with you on social media. I, um, for our podcast listeners, we'll put links on specialchronicles.com. to with social media. I'm not a Facebook fan of Facebook. I'm a pretty busy person. Yeah, uh, I do a lot of volunteer work. I knit hats for hospitals. Awesome. And I have a life, so I don't yeah. do much with <laughs> Facebook. I'm sorry, but Special Olympics, and they have Facebook, and through your links, they could probably connect. Connect, well. yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I just it's, it's a, yeah, it's a good. has a much more good, valuable yeah phone all day looking at games games or, and yeah, absolutely. So I'd be knitting hats for yeah 
babies who could really use them. Awesome, awesome. So our listeners can go to loettaclaybone.com to learn more about you and um and we'll make sure to put that that link as well as to your 50 game changers and if we can find a link to where people can watch that movie um about your about your story we'll put all that in the show notes on specialchronicles.com as well as our listeners can go to i'm finding the i've got the other link here somewhere oh i think i let me (laughs) uh they can also whoops hold on they can also go to, whoops, hold on. Go to uh, specialolympics.org and to f- find out more about the sport programs, uh, uh, the sport leadership and health programs, right? And is, is there anything else that you want to mention? Well, um, they can also read your bio on there as well on the board of directors page. But is there, is there anything else you want to mention uh, if? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said LorettaClaiborne.com. They can go to that website and they can see almost everything. Awesome. So go go to LorettaClaiborne.com and uh, find out more about Loretta. And if you want to connect and find out about your local Special Olympics program and connect with them on social media, SpecialOlympics.org is the place to go and I want to we mind you that you can well I'll mention that I'll mention that special chronicles link at the, at the end but um, any what at about an hour and a half so it's time to come to a close and share with us now any final thoughts on your overall time here today on the special chronicles show that you want to share with all uh, uh, um, listeners I'd like to uh, thank you first, Daniel, for what you have done to do the podcast and all your successfuls in being a Special Olympics Sergeant Shriver Global Messenger. And this podcast, I'm pretty sure, is going out to a lot of people who <laughs> would really look up to it. It's a great podcast, and it shows the power of a person using their voice and the tools that they have and your leadership skills. So awesome. I'd like to close with that. Thank you, awesome. and may blessings be with you. Awesome. Thank you. And once again, our, our, our um, listeners can visit Special Chronicles. Let me go ahead and put that up on the screen. Uh, our listeners can visit SpecialChronicles.com to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And remember to rate, review, and follow us to be notified of new episodes that drop weekly, as the, the kids say. Drop weekly on the Special Chronicles Network. Your source of finding joy, acceptance, and inclusion that gives respect and voice to people with special needs. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. It's been a great honor talking with you, Loretta. Uh, our guest has been Loretta Claiborne, Chief Inspirational Officer at Special Olympics. We'll be, we'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Special Chronicles show uh, right here on SpecialChronicles.com. So remember to tell your, your co-workers, friends and family to listen and subscribe to this original podcast right here on specialchronicles.com. We'll see you back here next week on the, uh, on the digital podcast airwaves. And, and until next week, we mimble choose to include until next week. We mimble choose to include special chronicles, giving respect and a voice to people with special needs. And before I hit pause on that,
audio. Uh, Noah, whoops, if I can click it, had she commented and said two amazing athlete leaders. So that was one comment from one of our listeners. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and hit uh, stop on that.